Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The FT. Hello, and welcome back to the FT Arts Podcast. I'm Jan Daly, the FT's arts editor, and this week we'll be discussing the artist as businessman. As Damien Hirst's diamond-encrusted skull went on display at the Palazzo Vecchio in Florence last week, an artwork that, essentially speaking, was ordered straight from a jeweller's, we ask whether it is acceptable for a new generation of artists to have their work produced by other people. Also, whether conceptual art as we know it risks disappearing altogether when the artists are no longer around to further their brand identity. With me to discuss these and other knotty questions are Jackie Wolschlager, the FT's visual arts critic, and Peter Aspelin, our arts and culture writer. Jackie, the factory production of images is nothing new, as your recent review of Lucas Cranach the Elder tells us. Rodin was another. Is it any different now? I think the biggest difference is not just that um, artists like Hearst and Murakami and Kuhn's are not making their work. I think it's the global scale that is so very different. If you look at Cranach or Rubens, they were producing from their workshop for a, a, a reasonably local market. And what's happening now is that the market is so big demand is so high there's just not enough and that is why I think sort of multiples are so popular that every bank wants to look international the Scottish bank doesn't want the Scottish colourists it wants Hearst spot paintings and that is true across the globe and that that creates a completely different market from anything we've seen before Peter do you think scale scale is the difference yeah undoubtedly but you know of course art tells the story of its time and this is the globalised time and, and and it's very exciting and the rewards to be reaped and I think that's what gets a lot of people very angry about these things the rewards are absolutely spectacular but um, but I think even the way that things are being mass produced tells us different things for example to compare the factory the Andy Warhol factory of the early 60s which was clearly a kind of artistic hangout with Dylan used to drop in and Lou Reed used to drop in and that said so much about the 60s and compared to which I visited I was lucky enough to visit Murakami's um, studio in New York and it was like a a Honda factory it was charts giving times of when all the employees should be in and quality control extremely high quality control at every level and you know these things in themselves tell us quite a lot about the society we live in. Yeah, um, Warhol calling his factory a factory was presumably a joke, wasn't it? Or at least an irony, but it's no longer a joke. Um, Recently I I saw not a terribly young artist, but a new artist on display in Istanbul. He is Turkish, although he's also been on display in Saatchi and elsewhere. His name is Mustafa Halusi. And he um, doesn't paint his um, hyper-realist images and never has done, and doesn't make any pretense of it. He is a marketing man who has rebranded himself as an artist. At least Hearst had his moment of huge creativity. This is true, but the, but the upshot is the same, isn't it? Mm. That these are, these are conceptual artists. These are not people who are pouring their soul onto a canvas. I mean, that, that, is, that is a difference. But, you know, it has always been thus. But I think one other thing is that 
who is buying these people? It's the new rich. It's businessmen. And they see in people like this new Turkish artist or in Hearst or in Coons reflection of themselves. They, they, they like that big macho posturing business thing. And the other thing is that I don't think people have got time in the same way. I think collectors used to be connoisseurs and now I think they, they want instant something that they recognise and that is what we and that is, is the branding. It's, it's like fashion. Um, again, I, I return to my previous point about you know art has to has to reflect the, the time it lives in. And yes, you're absolutely right, Jackie. We don't have time, but who which who of us has time to do anything? It's the the fact that art is the, both the art and the concepts behind the art are sometimes very shallow. Tells us quite a lot about the world we live in. And I think conceptual art, the primacy of conceptual art is exactly that, that people like to think that they're thinking profound thoughts and maybe they're not. Well, there are two things. This takes us, I think, in two different directions. One is to ask whether conceptual art that's being made now will even be regarded as anything at all in 50 years when the artist is no longer there. And the other is what the young, the young ones are doing. I mean, the young ones who are going back to putting paint on canvas, or at least some of them. Um, so, Peter, what do you think about what it's going to look like in 50 years' time. I mean, do you think they'll just think they were all mad? It's a really good question. I mean, I think, yeah, I think it, I think it has been a rather strange time recently. And, you know, this, this term that the auctioneers have come out with, wall power, that people um, will be always looking for works with wall power because at the end of the day there are... Ceiling, uh, it's not ceilings, sorry, walls <laughs> to be filled with, um, with, and maybe ceilings uh, too. Feelings, you know? Ceilings, is <laughs> ceilings, floors, yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that that will come back in some shape or form. And yes, I think that this this dominance of conceptual art won't last. I think it will be seen as a phase. And what about the young ones, Jackie? Well, I think it will. I think just returning to Peter's point, it will be seen as a phase. And yet, as in any movement, there will be some that rise above and will last just like you know there are a hundred imitators of Duchamp but we still talk about the urinal and it will I think be the same with the shark and probably with this skull and that I think is something that the young ones are acutely aware of that you know each generation looks to the one above to fight it but also to absorb and I think it's a it's, it, it was always a mad and crazy thing to sit in a studio and put paint on canvas. It's, I mean, it's heroic. It's, it's, it's nuts in a sense as a, as a way mm. of, of communicating or expressing, but yet it was always done. I think that is that sense of it being mad is stronger than ever, given how easy it is to commission someone else to do some photorealist stuff and, and make a fortune. But the other thing about the young ones is I think that they are taking it all in. I think that they're you know every generation is different but they are the first to have to take in this sort of imagery coming at them all the time from everywhere which includes conceptual images and i think the the best will absorb that and do something different and and we'll move on to you know probably a painting style which incorporates conceptual things but but does something else and and i think i think also the good exhibitions are now beginning to reflect some of these ideas. I thought Pop Life 
was a great show at Tate Modern because it began to address this theme of to what extent artists are self-consciously promoting themselves as brands and playing the game and complicit in their own marketing strategies. And I think those questions have become very interesting and, again, tell us a lot about the world. In, in a sense, it's always been thus. Perhaps what we're really seeing is that the, the moment when... Uh, our idea of the lonely artist one on one with his brushes and canvas or indeed with his with his quill and you know his p- paper and and uh, fountain pen maybe that was the aberration um, born of the romantic movement probably in the cult of the individualist because as you say you can go back to cranach you can go back to rubens um all these uh, so so the, the 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 artist as businessman is perhaps the constant with the other thing being the I don't know. Well, artists always have to live, don't they? And the the big difference, I think, that started in the mid-19th century is, is that the market changed and it became bourgeois, no longer, you know, church or, or, or state or princes. And at that point, you've got the dealer. There was no dealer in contemporary art before then. And I think some artists now are thinking, well, we don't need this. We can be the dealer. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, that you know, that's, that's how to run for its money. That's what Hearst was doing at Sotheby's. I think there's also been a philosophical shift um, where the kind of depth um, there used to be inspired by intense religious devotion and romantic self-expression, which led to, as Jackie says, these people agonising for hours in the studio, has been replaced by breadth, um, the breadth of a fast-moving, multi, multi-layered postmodern globalised world. And I think they're the, the chief issues now. So I think that there, there is a trade-off there. And it's not altogether a bad one. It's a very exciting one. Good things come out all the time. And what about um, what about techniques? I mean, the so-called digital art, the well, basically the digitising of so many techniques. Um, that is that having a big effect, Jackie, in what you see? I think that is something that one can't entirely rejoice in because I think some of the old painterliness is no longer being taught and is no longer interesting. And when it's gone, it's gone. And I think that, you know, that, that is a loss. But on the other hand, we're getting all sorts of other media, all sorts of different things. I, I, I think the triumph of conceptualism at the moment has meant that the making of art is not considered as essential as it used to be. I'm, I'm not talking about the sort of perfectionism of Murakami's studio, which I'm sure is absolutely to the hilt, but I'm, I'm talking about sort of, you know, its self-expression and, and how how, if you like, the heart and the hand and the eye come together, what Hockney talks about. I think that, you know, I think we are seeing less of that. But it's not gone forever. Do you, I just wondered, if, do you think it's possible that to lose an art now? I'm just thinking of what happened to sculpture, for example, between ancient Greece and the Renaissance. Um, is that kind of thing possible anymore in this day and age? I don't think it's possible because I think there will always be some people who look at painting and will go on looking at painting and will want to make works. There's a, a young artist that I'm going to review next week, and whenever I go and see him in his studio, he always says, does it look old? Does it look old? <laughs> and when I say, no, it's contemporary, his face falls, <laughs> and he says, oh, I want to be like the old masters. There'll always be people like that. <laughs> I think that's a very good note on which to uh, to end. Um, Jackie and Peter, thank you very much indeed. Thank you all for listening to this FT Arts podcast. For more podcasts, please go to www.ft.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com 
forward slash podcasts.